Welcome to our exchanges at Goldman Sachs Markets Update for Friday, October 16th. Each week, we check in with a leader across the firm to get a quick take on what they're watching in markets. I'm Jake Seward, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm. And joining us today, we have one of our favorites, Tony Pasquarello, on from our Global Markets Division. Tony, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Jake. Good to be with you. So stocks have been trending up recently. What's driving that and how optimistic are investors today on Friday, October 16th? So really, it's a bit of a mixed bag right now, Jake. Following a spectacular rally last week, we were actually off to a very strong start to this week. In fact, the NASDAQ 100, which we'll come back to, came within about 2% of its all-time high that it set back during a very strong rally in the month of August. I think the strength that we saw in the market, which essentially culminated on Monday into Tuesday morning, it was driven by a few factors. I'd argue the most important driver was on the margin some relaxation by investors around the notion of a contested U.S. election. As recently as three weeks ago, there was a narrative in the markets that it was increasingly possible, if not probable, that the outcome of the race would not be known on election night itself. In fact, the vote count could spill into late November, even December, perhaps culminating in a Supreme Court decision, which we saw certainly back in 2000. Since then, if you observe various third-party polls on this issue and we like to reference the super forecaster data from the Good Judgment Project, for example. The public seems to have, the market seems to have more confidence today that a contested election is, in fact, not the base case. And so I think there was some reassurance there for traders and investors. You could see some of that relaxation, for example, in the S&P options market. But it was interesting. As the week wore on, we came under some pressure, decent pressure on Wednesday and Thursday. And as we speak today, the S&P is more or less kind of flat from where it was last Friday alongside a continued failure to pass additional fiscal support in the US. To my eye, the primary driver of that kind of intraweek sell-off centered around, and tell me if this rings a bell, worrisome news flow around the spread of COVID in Europe. And so you know, this week has seen a resumption in case growth in Europe, and in turn, a set of measures to limit interaction if not selectively locked down certain parts of the continent. Of course, the pandemic, it's not a new variable for the market to contend with. But when you begin to see policy that may directly impinge on economic activity, the risk markets don't like that. And indeed, it was the cyclical parts of the European equity complex that let us lower. Yeah, it's been a long, strange trip for sure. Let's go to the big picture for a second. I mean, how are markets doing year to date? Obviously, been a lot of fluctuations. And how does that compare? Put it in historical context for us. So in a line, the U.S. equity market's doing very well with some very significant dispersion under the hood, which again is a point we'll come back to. So at a high level, the S&P 500 has returned around 8% year-to-date, which is about right in line with its long-term average for a full year. Now, what's interesting about S&P 500 is if you look at realized volatility, okay, how much has the market actually been moving? That measures at 34%, which is actually in the 97th percentile on a long run history. So yes, the market has point to point generated a very decent headline return, but the volatility that investors have faced along that path is some of the very highest that we've ever recorded. And then, as I mentioned, there's been a very wide dispersion of returns across various stocks and various sectors. At the top of that list, of course, has been the tech space, which is up about 30% on the year. We've also seen real strength in consumer discretionary stocks, Call that group up 27%. And then to the downside, energy stocks are down the better part of 50% on the year. And then a broad basket of US financials is down around 15%. In a broader context, 
the U.S. markets continue to outperform most global indices. This has been a theme for many years now. Again, healthy year-to-date returns in S&P, superb returns in the NASDAQ, whereas other major international indices like the Eurostoxx in Europe or the Nikkei in Japan are actually modestly negative on the year. And then just one last point, Jake, on the NASDAQ. NASDAQ's now up about 37% on the year, having rallied nearly 75% off the lows of March and is on track for its best single year since that big bottom back in 2009. So in the end, a solid year for headline returns, but it depends where you look. And those headline returns certainly belie some of the real challenges that investors have faced along the way. So obviously we were in the news this week, you know, we released earnings in the global markets division where you sit, had a really strong performance up almost 30% year over year. I think it mystifies a lot of people why a business like ours performs so well at a time when the economy is, you know, dislocating. So help explain why at a period like this, you're super busy, even though the economy is really going through some fits and starts. Sure. And at the risk of overreduction, the story really is this. Following three or four lower volatility years, it's been an extraordinarily volatile year in the financial markets. And that has generated a significant amount of activity by money managers of all kinds and all asset classes and all geographies. And there's a truism in our business, which is when our clients are really busy, we're really busy. And so if you take a step back and look at the sequence of 2020, The fact is the investing world changed in late February. Pick your metaphor, COVID was a lightning bolt, and it changed the world very, very quickly. So because the outlook changed so enormously and so fast, clients needed help on two fronts. One, they needed insight into what was going on, which is to say our views on markets and policy and the direction of the global economy. And then two, they needed risk transfer. They needed to shift their positions and were looking for dealer liquidity when doing so. So for all of the challenges in the economy and certainly some of those ongoing challenges, I think that our people were able to cover clients and meet their needs through a really extraordinary period. And so I like to think we earned our stripes as an advisor and as an intermediary in service to our global client base. The one thing, you've certainly been very busy and your teams have been very busy. There's been this big trend towards automation across the board, and that's not likely to stop. But humans really mattered in this crisis across a lot of different businesses. In the trading space, Like, how do industry experts think about automatic trading strategies, passive management strategies, and has COVID caused a little bit of a rethink around that? I think it's well said. It's a good question. If I think about our experience through the year, So really from the perspective of a dealer or a market maker, we essentially fight on two fronts. We have a very large electronic market making complex. Much of that, as you know, Jake, is provisioned through our marquee platform. And then alongside that is a global footprint, which we worked very hard to hold on to, of call it high-touch salespeople and traders who make voice markets. And in moments where, like every other bank, we had a majority of our people operating out of their homes for a period. I think there was a validation of the stability of our electronic market-making systems. But that said, to your question, if I think about some of the largest risk that we were asked to provision and some of the deeply complex or nuanced risk situations that clients need our help on, that's when you're really thankful to have a set of senior, experienced salespeople and traders who've been through volatile periods before. And again, we're there to make markets in a very high-touch fashion. All right, Tony, to the point as always, delighted to have you on today. Thanks for joining us. 
Thanks, Jake. That's all for this week's Markets Update on exchanges at Goldman Sachs. And in case you missed it, check out our other episode this week with Charlotte Keenan of the Office of Corporate Engagement on the small business picture in the UK and how businesses there are pivoting and persevering through COVID-19. Thanks for listening. Hope everyone has a great and safe weekend. This podcast was recorded on Friday, October 16th, 2020. Thanks for listening. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.